Okay, so hey Mark, welcome to the podcast today. Hey Grinnell, how's it going? Welcome to Short Ends Podcast. So, um, day job right now, I've been working in a rental house called Hello World Communications, and uh, we're in Chelsea, New York, and it's uh, we rent film equipment to um, short films, and music videos, uh, web videos, commercials, like all, all kinds of things like that. Um, and uh, personal life, I've been writing a lot, um, but also <clears throat> shooting a little bit as well. In terms of the rental house, that's a pretty cool job to have. I mean, you're on the inside of all like the tech side of film and everything. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's actually a really cool job. I started working there in August, and I it's funny because I had never really. I had known about rental houses from uh, when I was in school and film school and like I had obviously gone to a bunch, but I, for whatever reason, I never really considered it um, as a job for myself, but I was looking to, I'd been working in restaurants for a really long time and I was looking to do something uh, more, you know, in what I actually like to do every day. Mm -hmm. And so I found this job and um, it's been really cool because I'm not, I'm not naturally technically minded. And so getting put with a bunch of tech suddenly was like, has been a good challenge. And it's been, it's, it's really like, I feel like there was like a pillar of my like ability as just like an artist or a filmmaker or whatever you want to call it, that was like lacking, which was just the technical know-how. Cause I've spent so much time just doing low budget, no budget stuff, kind of teaching myself and, Obviously, I, I went to film school. That's how you know you and I met. Mm-hmm. So there, I definitely am not coming out of this like out of the blue. But um, technology has changed so much over the last five to ten years for film, for cameras and and lights and everything. So it's been a really uh, great opportunity to just to just catch up. I think catch up on a lot of things that I had missed out on and get really hands on with stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Are you like totally up to date and familiar with all the most recent gear at this point? Pretty much. I mean, I think I probably I don't think anybody's up to gear on every or up to you know speed on everything just because there is so much. And um, you know, one cool thing about working in a place like uh, Hello World is, or any rental house probably is like everybody kind of has their interests. So some people are more like for me, I'm really into lighting, and lately I've been really into filters, which mm-hmm. is something I, I I didn't really ever know about. Um, until a couple months ago, kind of like one of those like small things you learn about and it kind of just, you realize they're used on like every film and, and how much of an, an important part they are. So anyway, but some people are into cameras, some people are into like the production side, like, and since the, what I mean by is like producing. Um, and so we all kind of like fill in each other's gaps, uh, for sure. And, but yeah, in general, I have learned more than I ever thought I would know. (laughs) Uh, I've learned about uh, aspects of film tech that I didn't, I was, in, I was, uh, what's the word? Like I had no feeling one way or the other towards it. And I now know a lot about it. Um, and it's, it's been great because like, like with the theme of this, this podcast of like independent and alternative. And like, I think also low budget is probably a, pr- a pretty good definitely like, yep. thing that, that this, yeah, po- your podcast talks about. Um, I've learned that there are so many other options out there now that are, that fit into all of that, all of those things of cameras and lights that you can use that really are relatively low budget 
um, that you can really make something look really great and you don't necessarily need uh, an Alexa, even though that's a really fantastic camera. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of other great cameras that are like lower in mid range. Um, and definitely something I want to talk to you about at some point during this podcast is just like what I've learned um, from, as from a producing standpoint mm-hmm. uh, and, and how you can really like really do low budget stuff that looks good. That's awesome. I mean, I'm also like totally on that uh, boat or whatever. Of, like, you know, a lot of this stuff I do is very low budget. This, you know, uh, no budget, whatever. Um, but I've also kind of been experimenting with uh, different gear and whatnot. And you, you find there's a certain camera, a certain uh, you know lens or filter or something that just jumps the production up, you know, tenfold in in how it looks and its quality and everything for really not that much more money. Or you know, it's just almost like a trick you learn. Yeah, a hundred percent. And one thing that I've learned um, that I definitely heard a lot before, but I'm now really like a diehard uh, proponent of is like, while your camera and your camera sensor are super important, um, what is built out from this camera sensor outwards is like probably even more important. So what I mean by that is like the lenses you're using, the filters, the lighting, and also like just the human beings on set, like their, their creative minds and, um, uh, I think that probably one thing that doesn't get talked about nearly as much as tech, but is super important is like, who are you collaborating with? Mm-hmm. And do those people, um, do you like reciprocally, you know, build off each other creatively? Absolutely. Um, and like, I would say that the people you're collaborating with are probably the most important piece of equipment <laughs> that you can get on set, uh, more than anything else. Uh, yeah, I agree with yeah. that a hundred percent. A minute ago, you said, you know, you wanted to get into some of the tech side and everything And during this podcast. I mean, you know, let's do it now. Are there any, uh, you know, what, what have you been learning there that uh, kind of can increase the, the value of a low-budget film? Absolutely. So um, the next project, or not really next, but it's the one I'm going to do next, but it's what I'm working on right now in terms of pre-production, is a music video for a pianist that I met. Um, and... The basic concept of it is I want the music video to start off as if you were just watching like a multi-camera performance of a live show. Mm -hmm. So like just like a live concert where you have different cameras set up and you're kind of cutting back and forth. And then it's going to transition into more of like a a traditional music video throughout. Um, So that's just a basic idea of the structure without giving too much away. But I was struggling because in order to get that first part of the music video, I'm going to need multiple cameras and... I want them to be either the same camera or, or cameras that are close enough that they, you know, they can match and post. Um, but of course, you know, if you're going to have multi multiple cameras on set, that's really expensive. Um, and I've shot a lot with DSLRs and mirrorless cameras. And so for me personally, I was, now that I've learned more about other types of cameras and I have access to them at my job, I was like, Oh, I want to, you know, I'm ready to kind of take a leap up and take a, take a step up. Um, and so anyway, I found these, um, these, there are these series of cameras that like pretty much most camera companies make that are essentially their camcorders technically, but they're a lot more advanced than the camcorders, you know, you and I are probably remember our parents having when we mm-hmm. were growing up. Um, and in fact, it's funny cause now that I'm thinking about it, the first camera I ever got when I was like 12 or 13 or something for a Christmas present was like one of those like high eight tape camcorders. <laughs> Definitely, um, same here, yep. So it's kind of like, maybe it's kind of, it's all coming full circle now that I'm saying it out loud. But anyway, these cameras are relatively cheap to rent. Um, 
and or a buy if you're that kind of person you want to own one. And um, the one that I'm looking at is this camera called the Canon XF105, and basically it has a lens built into it. Um, and for me, that is, that is crazy. If you had talked to me even six months ago, I would have been like, you know, very, um, what's the word? Like, no, you have to shoot. You know, I was getting really tired of shooting on DSLRs. Mm-hmm. And I know you shoot on DSLRs a lot. Uh, I have a lot of friends who do that. And I was sort of, for whatever reason, I was just itching to sort of do something different. And so, um, anyway, I love the look of this, this camera. And I've, uh, like I said, a few minutes ago, I got really into like filters and mm-hmm. I went into a really, really deep dive at work on learning about, uh, Tiffin filters. And, uh, so like Hollywood black magic is, or black pro mist are probably two of the most well-known ones. Um, and if you look those filters up and you know, what movies they've been used on, those specifically have been used on a lot of movies. Um, but basically I like realized I was like, Oh man, I love the way this filter makes this digital camcorder look. Mm -hmm. Um, and it gives it this just awesome look and it's like kind of looks low budget, but it also looks high end at the same time. And I was like, this is just really exciting. And that, that is the most recent moment for me where I was like, Oh, you know, there's all this tech out there that is not as popular, but if you combine it with other pieces of tech in the right way, you can make something that like is really unique. Yeah. Now, how do these camcorders compare to like a DSLR with, you know, changeable lenses and everything? Uh, is it better quality? So that's also when, and this is funny because this is something I talk about with uh, like the clients who come into our, uh, our rental house a lot is like the concept of better quality is at this point is pretty uh, subjective. Right. So yeah. these cameras have third inch chips. So essentially their sensors are a third of an inch okay. um, as opposed to like, super 35 or full frame cameras, which, um, have uh, much bigger sensors. So essentially what that means is like, you have less depth of field. I'm sorry. You have more depth of field. There's less of that out of focus fall off that people associate with like Hollywood films and, and major films. Um, but they are HD. Some are 4k. The one that I was talking about, the Canon one, that's 1080p. So regular HD. Mm -hmm. Um, but they have this, quality about that and they're all a little bit different um that reminds me of shooting on film it reminds me of shooting on 16 and if anybody's not really familiar like 16 is basically half the 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 size of the film is half the size of 35 and a third inch i think is maybe even smaller than 16 but you could kind of loosely think of it as like a third inch to super 35 in the same way that like 16 goes to super 35 Mm-hmm, not an mm-hmm. exact, you know, whatever, but, um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're really cool. Again, you can't change the lenses, so you're kind of locked into that. Um, but you can put filters on them. You can put, you know, map boxes on them. They have HDMI outputs. They have, um, SDI outputs, which is a little bit more of a professional feature. You can hook up monitors. You can do all kinds of stuff with them and they're super lightweight. I mean, I think these things are like four pounds. Wow. So they're they're lighter than your than DSLRs are. I love when tech has some constraints and then it forces exactly. you to, to add on filters or whatever to give it that look that you're going for. It pushes you exactly. creatively. A hundred percent. A hundred a hundred percent. And um 
in terms of like from a pro- I was talking about earlier, like, oh, like I'm starting to think more as like a producer, at least with like my own projects, is like cameras like that, like if the camera's lighter, your tripod's lighter, your gear's lighter, you need less people carrying it. You know right. what I mean? Like all those things fit fit in and it it's um when you're like a low budget filmmaker, um I all of those little things really add up. You know, I'm always thinking about money and weight. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. how much does something cost and how much does it weigh? Yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And and really it changes the output. I mean, like you're saying, if you need less people, if it weighs less and everything, uh, it's going to be a different production. You're going to use different creative forces to get that done. Absolutely. Is there any other tech or you know information that uh, you can share of you know, innovative uh, technology that would help out low budget filmmakers? Um, I think the other big huge improvement that I've that I've noticed, and again, I'm not the first person to I'm to you know discover any of this stuff, but lighting has come so far. I mean, if you remember when you and I were in school and we were using big heavy lights with actual big light bulbs in them and they would get really hot and uh you know they were heavy and they were expensive and those lights are still amazing and they're still used Mm -hmm. um and they have their own quality to them that i think you know i they're definitely not extinct that Mm -hmm. being said the technology that's come along with leds is insane it's it is insane and there's all kinds of levels of led lights um there are very expensive ones like by Ari and there are very cheap ones and there's ones all in between. Um, and I think that, you know, that's a really cool thing. And also now that I'm just saying this out loud is I think another really cool thing is bouncing and, and diffusion. And mm-hmm. that's kind of goes with the same way, the same revelation I had with filters on lenses I had with bouncing light and diffusing light with the lights themselves. And, um, I realized that it's like, you can get these things that are like relatively cheap, like lent, like lenses to rent, or I'm sorry, like filters to rent or like mm-hmm. these big bounce boards or these like diffusions and silks and all, and all kinds of stuff. And, um, they can do so much to the quality of your light. And sometimes you don't need a super great light. Sometimes I've worked on shoots where we literally have like these things from Home Depot that are like work lights. If you're like working on a car at night and they're just basically like two big old light bulbs. And I was (laughs) like, if you, you know, you can bounce that or whatever and it, and it can change something just as a filter can change like a lower quality camera sensor or lens into something really cool. Bouncing light and, and filtering light, um, can change something that's like really harsh and cheap into something really cool too. And, you know, again, there's a difference between using, you know, really expensive professional film lights and equipment and, and using cheaper or whatever, you know, lower end or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that, you know, don't count out the guys on the lower end of the scale, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially if you're independent, whether you're starting out, your alternative, you want to do something different. You don't have a big budget. Um, you know, I'm not oblivious to like the way our industry works, but mm-hmm. if you if you have the mindset of like, I just want to do this because I feel like I want to make a movie and I want to see what that would be like, like don't count this stuff out. It's super cool. Yeah, yeah, and also I, I firmly believe that you know the high end stuff, the Hollywood aesthetic is one look, um, but the low end stuff is just another look. And I think instead of yeah this mindset that oh well we'll start on low end and as my career progresses I'll 
I'll scale up and up and everything. I mean, maybe your vision it just lies in the aesthetics of that low end. Um, and, you know, that's thanks to this technology and everything. It's something that is very achievable. Yes, 100 percent. And shouldn't be you know, and shouldn't be looked at as worse. But, you know, just, you know, literally different. And I think that that is so it's so interesting because like trying not to get too philosophical here, but it's something that I've like reflected on a lot uh, in my own life and on like humans in general of like we are so maybe this is a Western thing. I don't really know. But like so many people I know and my, I definitely include myself. We're so into this like we get locked in this duality. Like we think everything in terms of like dual like it has to be like two like the number two is so defining. And, um, I think that what you just said is like, yeah, it's not bad. It's just different, but it literally took me the time I graduated college in 2012 to like the last six months to like really believe that. And, uh, and so, you know, if, if there's anybody that's like, I would hope that people in general could just, you know, learn that faster than I did, um, or, you know, get behind that faster than I did. And, you know, I'm glad I, I'm, I'm understanding it now and, you know, going through it now. Yeah, it's really interesting what you said about, you know, too, it's such a uh, thing in our minds and everything. And I think just like, it's really this brainwashing too. I mean, a lot of times I make a lo-fi thing and then often I have this self-doubting moment where I say, well, you know, is this really garbage because it doesn't look like a Hollywood film or something. Um, And it takes like a lot of effort to convince yourself or to be confident, not to convince yourself, but to be confident in the aesthetic that you've chosen and to really say, yes, that is my vision, um, rather than comparing it to, to something, you know, that's quote high end. A hundred percent. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, yeah, I have nothing to add. <laughs> I agree with that completely. <laughs> How long have you been working at the rental house now? Mm, let's see. It's mid January, maybe about four and a half months, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. So it's pretty months. recent. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, definitely recent. Um, and even in that period, like, it's just, I've learned so much. I've learned so much, which is, which is fun. It's fun to have a job where I'm, I'm learning a lot. Um, I've had t- jobs where I am learning and jobs where I'm not. And, you know, stuff where you're learning, especially when it's something you're interested in, just makes all the difference. Yeah, I know from, you know, knowing you and everything that you've also had other jobs that were not film related, like, you know, being a barista. Um, and, you know, I also uh, kind of sometimes romanticize that image or something of working kind of a regular <laughs> job and then, you know, using the money for art or whatever. Um, yeah. you, you know, kind of the Bukowski thing of working in the post office and writing at night and eventually becoming, you know, a famous author or whatever. Yeah, but don't forget, I don't think Bukowski was ever successful or famous in his lifetime, was he? Well, yes, in his lifetime, but not until he was, like, in his 50s, I believe. Yeah. It was way later. And that life takes a toll on you. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Just look look at his face. There's, like, 40 years of drunkenness and uh, uh, d- debauchery and whores. You know, it's a, a cruel, a cruel uh, mug to look at. Obviously, you can, like, romanticize or whatever, but, like, this job compared to other jobs you've had. And also, you know, let me know what other jobs you've had. I'm interested just to hear sure. of uh, other jobs you've had to kind of create, uh, keep the creative juices uh, flowing along the way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've had a lot of, I'd say, I started working, I think, when I was 18 was probably my first job. Mm-hmm. And I've worked a lot. And I'm tw- I'm 29 and a half now. I'll be 30 in June. So, you know, I, I worked a lot of crazy jobs. The first job I ever had, this was before I even went to college, was I worked in a dog hotel. Um, 
which I feel like was very formative on me. And I don't know why I just feel like that. I think just because it was like the first job I ever had, uh-huh. um, you know, you don't really, for you, I constantly think back to that job. Mm. Um, but I had that job. And then when I was in school, I was a barista and then a waiter. Um, and then for the last, I would say maybe from like 2012 until, uh, like 2019, I have done some combination of either being a server in a restaurant, um, or, and, or freelancing in the film and photography world. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's been just freelancing. Sometimes it's been just restaurant work. Sometimes it's been both. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and I've also started bartending a little bit too. Um, but that's, that's the same world I would say. But yeah, how do, how do those jobs yeah. compare to this job and how do they influence the creative process? Wow. I mean, I would say that is a, that is a loaded question or maybe not a loaded question, but that's a big, that's a question that has a lot of answers. <laughs> um, so I will try to break it down cause it's something that I thought a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for one thing, um, when you work in a job that is not, you know, it's your job that makes money. And I don't want to say it's a job you don't like because there's, I, I worked in a lot of restaurants and t- there are times I hated it and sometimes that I really liked it. Um, but I think when you're working in a job, that's like, you know, there was always in the back of my mind where I was like, I want to be a filmmaker. Right. And then later yep. that became like, Oh no, I, I just want to be an artist. Like, uh-huh. I would, you know, and, but at the time, like, but I'm working in a restaurant and I'm like, Oh God, I'm such a cliche. So Mm -hmm. like, there's the one aspect of it. There's like, there's all the self-loathing. I'm definitely a person that is like (laughs) amenable to (laughs) self-loathing. I do that a lot. Um, but then there's the other aspect of like, something happens when you're just like in a grind and you're doing something over and over and over again, where your creative part of your mind, it like, it's, it helps it. It helps it totally. It helps it. And I, it's so crazy. Like it's almost like, uh, astounding to me. And it's, this is going to be so nerdy, but when we were freshmen in school, we remember we had to take that writing the class, right? Writing the essay or something. And I remember they made us read all, I had to read all these essays. And at the time I'm really in, or now I'm really into stuff like that. Like I love reading and I love reading like essays and nonfiction. But at the, at the time when I was 18, I didn't, but I'll never forget there. There's literally only one essay I remember from that class. And it was, I don't even remember what it was called, but the author's name was Matthew Goolish. And he wrote this like short thing. And it was about how his grandfather had worked like on an assembly line. And he was just talking about the way that his grandfather would do the exact same motion with like the machinery at his post and how like the way he would like move his hands and his arms in a certain way. He was, it was like art. Mm. Right. And like that always stayed with me. And like that, to me is like, I don't know if it's a metaphor or if it's literal, but that is like what I think about when I think about working, when you're working a job, that's not what you want to do. That's how I think about it. It's like you do, you're doing these like things that become rote, these like movements. And it's a lot more complicated than just moving a piece of machinery up and down, like stamping metal or something. But like it, it does something to your mind, your mind wanders, but like productively. Absolutely. And I've come up with so many ideas for things and started so many, um, I just there's so so much that I've written about has has come from that have just come from like you know I'm I'm my mind is just like let let loose in a good way that creative part of my mind it seems almost like when you do get into that you know rote action the same thing every day 
it's an automatic thing. And then, you know, maybe your brain has more space to kind of think about other things. It has, you know, it becomes so second nature. It's like, you know, when you have a good idea in the shower or something, you don't have to actually exactly. think about how do I shower myself? Um, so <laughs> thus your, your brain wanders and, you know, sometimes you have the best ideas when you're doing a completely automatic action. I, a hundred percent agree. And I think that word automatic is like really important. I think yeah. that's like, has, is like the key to it. I, I often think that we are, you know, somebody, some famous writer or something said something about like how we can be like slaves to our own brains. Mm-hmm. And I do think that sometimes like we, our brains are like jail keepers. And like, if we like distract the jail keeper, we can like break out. Mm. And, and that, I don't mean it to sound as like, dark i think that sounds a lot darker when i'm saying it out loud i think it's more of like it's almost like a game yeah but it's like can i distract the jail keeper long enough to get out and you know that's like i think it's like you do this when you're you're distracting your brain with like i'm doing a million things right now for this job because like i have all these like i had a restaurant i have all these tables i have to deal with and i have all these steps of service i have to go through and i have to present a certain way and i you know smile and you do all these things like your brain is so busy that than the creative part of your brain, which is really what makes us human that like the frontal lobe and the creative part of our brains and our imagination is then free to, to, to sneak past the jail keeper and do whatever it wants to do. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. I, I completely agree. So Mark, maybe, you know, we're talking about what you've been working on recently and everything. Uh, take me back to your childhood and just kind of tell me, uh, you know, were you creative as a child? Did you always have an interest in film? Give me a little background on your upbringing. Um, I think I was always creative. I do remember, I I think my mom telling me a lot, like I really liked to write, mm-hmm. but I don't remember that as much as that I liked to draw. I used to draw all the time and my mom even put me in like an after school art program, which mm-hmm. was, um, cool. And like when I was in high school, I, I did like pastels and oil paintings and stuff. Um, so there's definitely always like an artistic aspect and, um, I, uh, what was it? You said your childhood film. I wasn't always interested in, I don't know what, I don't really know at what point I will say that both my parents love movies okay. and I think that my parents are also divorced and they've been divorced my whole life and separately, and they are so different from each other, but separately they both loved movies and it was something that I would do with both of them. They both liked completely different types of movies. And they were, it was very, like, in my mind, it's, like, very separate. Like, I would see my dad on the weekends. We would watch certain types of movies. And then during the week, whatever, I would just end up watching movies with my mom. Or my mom, you know, she would always talk about the movies that she liked. Not always, but it was something that she liked, she enjoyed. Like, so my mom, did she give me an idea? Like, she loves movies like Back to the Future. Okay. Which is one of my favorite movies, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad likes movies like Chinatown. Okay, gotcha. And so, like, and and then, you know... There's probably a little bit of crossover, but like not a lot. But my dad, the one thing that we would do is I would see there were periods where I would see him on the weekends, and like we would go to the movies every weekend. We would either go to the movies or rent a movie every weekend. And so I was watching movies all the time, and like he definitely introduced me to movies earlier than I should have been. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like like certain movies, I mean, um, yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. my mom was always like more on the safe side. She also really, really likes old movies. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I remember her always watching Turner Classic Movies and having that on and that, yep. that TV channel. Um, and my dad does too, but it was a little bit different. Um, yep. Yep. 
honestly, what I really remember is Kill Bill came out. All right. Mm-hmm. I was like 12 or 13. Kill Bill, Quentin Tarantino came out. My mom would not let me see it. But the trailers were all over TV. And I remember even just from the trailer being like, I've never seen a movie that looks like that before. Right. And I think that was probably the beginning. And that's not even one of my favorite movies now. But like at, at the time, I was just like, it was really, it blew my mind. And it, just the trailer. I was like, I've never seen a movie that looks like this, that feels like this. Uh, and I was watching probably 90 seconds of the movie <laughs> cut together out of order. And I didn't see that movie until a few years later. And I remember thinking it was really boring at the time. But even so, I was like, this is definitely something different. I was like, this is different. And then um, my getting into NYU was kind of random. Yeah. So, um, so tell me about that. When did the actual uh, filmmaking come up for you? And, and what, like, when did you decide you wanted to apply to NYU and film school and all of that? So actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I used to, when I was a sophomore in high school there was this one semester where um, we had like one sort of film class at my high school and I never took it, but the teacher would let, uh, there was this one semester where he let me and a couple, a few other people, we would go in at lunch sometimes and mess around. He had like TV tape cameras and he had like some version of premiere. um, And we would just shoot little things in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, this is fun. But I don't, I honestly don't know at the time if I, I don't think I was really considering a career. I, I, I remember at one point being like, oh, maybe I'll be an architect. But mm-hmm. even that was like very like fleeting. I didn't really know anything about architecture. Um, but then when I, I guess, so you said like, when did I know I wanted to go to film school? Yeah. Because that's a pretty specific decision to apply to NYU Tisch. For sure. Um, at my high school, um, like, like people go to college, like from my high school, like everybody goes to college, right? Like I know that's not the case in all schools like in America, but like I'm from outside of DC. It's Mm -hmm. a very wealthy area. Uh, People are like in government or like their parents and stuff, you know, like they're, they're smart, they're connected, like they, and they go to college. And so the only reason I'm saying that is because like college, like from the time you're like a sophomore, everyone like in, in high school, they're all talking about it. Like teachers are talking about it. Administrators are talking about it. Parents are talking about it. Kids are talking about it. And so like, I knew like I had friends that were like, they were like, Oh, there's NYU film school. This is like the premier film school. But like, I just knew about it from them. Like I never did any research. I, I had dial up internet my whole life until I went to college. And I'm saying that because like, I didn't go on the internet except at school because it was such a fucking hassle Mm -hmm. to do it. Uh, that, and you couldn't really, there was a lot you couldn't do. Like I was not the kid. I know I have friends who were like, Oh, I was 15 and I was Googling NYU's website. Like, and I was reading about all the people. I was like, that wasn't me. Right. Uh, and uh, so I, I don't know. I found out about it from friends and, what happened was I was a junior in high school towards the end of my junior year. And somehow my mom, um, she found out about this like summer program at NYU Tisch. And it was like a summer, I think it was called like summer filmmakers workshop or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. And you had to apply to it. And she really pushed me to apply. She was like, you like film, you like movies. And at the time I was like, I don't know what I like, but she was like, I like, I know that you like this, like you should apply to it. And like, again, like in the community 
school that I grew up in, like people did stuff like this. Like people would go to these like crazy summer like workshops and like because everyone's trying to get ahead and everyone's trying to get like a resume for like college and it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. So she was like, you need to do this. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I applied to this program and like, honestly, I, it, it was harder than the actual application I ended up doing to go to NYU film school. It, I remember it being like so involved. I had to write these essays. I had to write about my favorite movies. I had to put a resume together. I had to give them all my everything, like my PSAT scores and my my test scores and my grades and everything. And it was really involved. And I got waitlisted. And I remember I was so pissed. I mean, I was so mad at my mom. I was like, you made me apply to this fucking program. I didn't even want to go to it. You know, like... And then, and then they waitlisted me. Like, they don't even want me. And I was like, even if I get in, I was like, I'm not going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my mom was, I don't know what she said. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was so, I was so, you know, you're like 16 or 17. It's like, you know, you're so, it was, I was so emotional. I was so emotional. And I'm a, you know, I'm an emotional person now. Like you can imagine when I was, you know, at the end of puberty, I was like really fucking emotional. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so like about a month later, I got a letter and they were like, Hey, like somebody dropped out or whatever happened. Like you're in. And I was like, I'm not going. I was so like prideful about it. I was like, I'm not going. And I was like, stop, like you're going. And so I ended up going and I'm so glad I went because it was amazing. You're also living in New York city for that program, correct? Correct. Um, so basically, had you been to New York before? Once. No, that's okay. Once when I was eight, and I'm glad you actually said because I, I came for like a weekend. Uh, I came for Fourth of July weekend in 1998. Okay. And I specifically remember it because we were in the cab and the fireworks started going off and we stopped on the Brooklyn Bridge and we watched fireworks. And I was like, I was like, I have to come here. And that, that is something that that's important, I guess. I didn't think about it. But I was like, whether even before I knew about NYU and film school, I knew I wanted to come to New York City. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Um. And that was it. I was here for like two days in 1998, but it, that memory always stayed with me. So yeah, so flash forward to I guess me being like 17, I get into this program, I come up and like, I was nervous at first. Like I was definitely a lot more introverted then than I am now. Um, and definitely, um, you know, I just had a lot more anxiety in general, just about everything. So, you know, it was like a big thing, but I was excited. And so I came and I think it was five weeks, four or five weeks. And, you know, it was cool. You stay in a dorm, you stay in an NYU dorm on Washington Square Park. You go to the Tisch building, like where you and I were all the time in school. Um, You use their facilities. You're taught by uh, two of their, like, at the time, really high ranking professors. Um, And there was like, like 50 of us, maybe 60 and they were like split into two classes. So, you know, I was like with like 30 kids and I got to know them really well. And the other 30 kids, they, we were kind of split up. Um, so I didn't know them as, as, as well, but, um, let's say there were like 50 kids in that program total, like 48 of us went to the film school. And so they, so basically I went to this program. I had a great time. And then at the end of it, they, literally i'll never forget this either they literally like sat us all in a room and they were like you guys basically have gotten into the film school they were like they straight up told us this they were like we're on like the advisory board for like accepting people they were like 
you know, you, it's like, uh, they're like, it's not guaranteed, but like essentially like, you know, you're all like, we support you get going to this school. We want you to go to the school, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, holy shit. Like mm. that, I had no idea that was going to happen. And so, uh, you know, I, we left, I came back home. Um, and then I was like, I'm going to apply early decision. Um, and so I applied early decision and I found out and it was like December and I found out I, I got in. Um, and, uh, thankfully I was able to get scholarship to go there cause I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to go otherwise. And, um, then I basically just kind of rode out the next nine months and then I, and then I showed up in, I guess, 2008, yeah. 2008. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that was a, that was really, it was really weird because when I think back on it now, it feels very random and it probably isn't random, but that's just my perception of it. Um, it feels very much like I could have gone anywhere. I could have gone, I'm from Maryland. I could have gone to university of Maryland where like half my high school or more went, uh, which is a great school, no film program or anything there. Um, but the one thing I think I heard you say this maybe in the episode with Bill Blanchard, but the one thing I can say about NYU more than anything else positive is that it brought me to New York City mm-hmm. when I was eighteen, and I didn't have to worry about anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I've met so many people, especially working in the restaurant industry, where it's like they come here, they're eighteen, nineteen, twenty, even twenty five, twenty six, and it's like you move here and you don't know anybody. And you don't even know the neighborhoods or where to live. And it's like, so you got to get a job and you got to get a place to live. And like, you got to like, just figure, like, as I get older, I really appreciate knowing things like, like I know the feel of my neighborhood where I live. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but that doesn't just happen, you know? And it's, yep. mm-hmm. and I know the feel of all the neighborhoods in New York, mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. or less, mm-hmm. and almost all of them after 10 years, more than 10 years of living here. And I was like that I used to take for granted, uh, not in any kind of like, asshole way but just i never really thought about it until the last like year or two um and so you know people who don't you know i i had a really nice transition nice is such an understatement i was really lucky um and that is the best the best thing i can say i i that i really think about and appreciate nyu for until the day i die Yeah. yeah yeah did you have a major in mind when you applied there like documentary narrative experimental anything like that or a camera producing any a track like that that you, you wanted to pursue? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, not really. I had no, I didn't understand uh, how films were made. Mm-hmm. I could talk, I could talk to you about movies all day. I could talk to you about my favorite directors, actors, movies. I could talk to you about story. I think that's a big thing. I could talk to you about story. I could tell you why I like this story over another I could tell you why I thought one story in a movie was better than another. Yeah. Um, and then later on, I think I could, I started like getting a sense of like atmosphere in movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I wouldn't have said it like that at the time, but I started, I think that also kind of goes back to when I, like I saw the kill bill trailer when I was younger and I was like, that movie has an atmosphere that is like, it's all the things together, right? It's the lighting, it's the camera movement, it's the costumes, it's the way it's the editing, it's the way, shots are held or very quickly or whatever. And like that. And I I remember like when we were roommates, like you introduced me to a couple people 
not not in person, but like a couple like artists that I have stayed with me. I, like Kubrick was one, and Hodorowski was another. Mm-hmm. And both of those people still to this day are huge, I huge influences on me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it wasn't really until we started like making movies in school and stuff because the first year you don't really make movies. I I don't think like it was photography and there was a sound course. Exactly. Yep. Um, but yeah, then, you know, you started making movies and I was like, I started understanding how hard it was. I think that was like the first thing I realized I was like, this is so goddamn difficult. Like <laughs> it's just everything is hard. And then we were shooting on film too. So it's like, and then it's like, it's even harder because it's like, what if the shot didn't come out? Or like, what if I don't cut it the right way? Or what if I don't tape the cuts the right way? Right. And all that stuff. But like, honestly, like that, so what I'm talking about is the first semester for me of sophomore year. So that was when I did the narrative 16 millimeter class and you shoot five short films, 16 millimeter black and white, and you edit on Steambacks, which are the big film editing machines. Um, that's when we lived together also. And that's when we lived together. Yeah. Like that year was like my best year at NYU in terms of my, I have the fondest memories of that year. I think I, I think that's when I really came to my own as like a creative person. And I, and I started to like understand what it really meant to make movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess what I mean by that is like to have a creative vision and to take it out of your brain and put it onto something physical and like what that really means. And like, that was the beginning for sure. It was a start. So it was very like young understanding, but that was like the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, so Plus, I mean, like, you remember, like, we're in New York City. You're, like, 18, 19 years old. Like, I was learning so much about everything, not yeah. just film. Like, it's just, you're just, you're like a sponge, you know? You're just sponging everything up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, then, during your your rest of the time you had, you had at NYU and everything, um, did you narrow down to a specific major, or were you always kind of taking general filmmaking classes? I was taking general filmmaking classes and I was taking a lot of general education classes, right. which I uh, loved. I loved, 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 loved. I took a lot more than I think a lot of our fellow film majors did. Um, and mostly it's funny because I think like I was just like nervous about graduating and like scared. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't know how to do it. You know what I mean? Like I, so it was like a double dose of like, I don't know what, I don't know. Like that, I don't know was like everything (laughs) in my life at that time. I was just like, I don't know anything. Everything's so uncertain. But I took a lot of gen ed classes and I loved those classes. Um, And it's funny because I think now, maybe this is true for everybody. It's definitely true for me. Like as a creative person is like, I'm always trying to like, I'm obsessed. You could definitely say I'm obsessed with new experiences and I will go out of my way to do something new. And I've done, you know, I'll do crazy things, not like dangerous per se, but like, I'm like, I get off on doing things that I haven't done before. That's awesome. I mean, I love that, that, you know, you you say you're like, you know, obsessed with going after new experiences, but but, but where does that come out of it? Out of NYU you're saying or? Uh, no, I would, I wouldn't say it's just NYU, but I was like, I think that I like realized like the years after I graduated, I was like, wow, like some of your 
best memories were in these classes that had nothing to do with film. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then when I actually started writing, um, I started realizing like, oh, like my ideas are coming out of things I learned in these classes. Mm-hmm, and like same where like oh my ideas are coming out of like working in a restaurant like whether the idea is about being in a restaurant mm-hmm. like a screenplay about that or whether it's just like somebody i met and they inspired something like a character i wanted to do or something like that like that um you know it's all these things that are coming out of like we were in the film school like i was very like uh what's the word like I want to find the right word. It's like (laughs) when we were in the film school, I was very intimidated and confused by a lot of the people that we were in school with. Okay. And they came from a really different world, I think than where I came from. And they seemed to just know things. And this expression my aunt used once, which is like, it seemed, you know, she's described people. It's like, Oh, sometimes it just seems like you meet people who just have the book of all the answers. And like, they've Mm. just had it. And I felt like – I don't think they actually did have all the answers, but I think they were a lot better at you know, putting that air on or whatever. Yeah, presenting and themselves I, that way or whatever. Exactly, exactly, presenting themselves that way. And I was like – it was intimidating. And like – so there was a combination for me of very much like – on the one hand, I was like, wow, I don't even know if I feel comfortable around a lot of the people I went to school with. And two, where I was like, oh, I'm interested in all these other things. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so – um. I I think, you know, those two things sort of played out and I went on my, like, this journey, which I feel like is very much like a journey, which I guess we're, I'll be on this journey forever, but I feel like it was like a sub-journey. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, you know, it was like, I basically, where I was just like, I just need to go live life. I was like, I just need to live life and I need to not be worried about, um, like what film job I have or am I going to be a director or whatever? And I'm, I'm saying this to you way more confidently than I was experiencing it when I was on this sub journey or whatever, which is like the last 10 years years ago at this point, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was so, I was constantly, like I said at the beginning, I was like, I deal with self-loathing. Like I was constantly like, you're, are you making mistakes? You're making mistakes. What are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? And you know, also, you know, to pay credence or whatever to our earlier conversation too about like, you know, tech, tech isn't bad. It's, you know, it's, it's cheaper. It doesn't make it cheap. Being it cheaper or less cool or less popular doesn't make it bad. It's just different. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like the Hollywood look is a look. It's not the look. Um, and I think that in the same way, I was like, so worried about like, am I making the wrong decision? Am I making the wrong decisions? Is this going to be permanent? You know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I don't know. That's that's life. That's my life. <laughs> that's what I deal with. Yeah. I did all these things that, like, at the time didn't seem like the best decision. But now looking back, it was the only decision for me. Mm-hmm. Like, it was the right decision for me, and it was the only decision for me. And it didn't lead me to a, a, to the perfect job or to making a lot of money or whatever. And I would love to have those things in the future. You know, I'm definitely very like, you know, like I'm not about being a starving artist. I want to be a successful artist. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's very much how I feel. But, um, you know, 
it was what I needed to do and it was what I had to do. And I couldn't have done anything else. And I think even if I tried to do something else, it would have ended up back here eventually. And so what those more specific, I'm speaking like vaguely, but like specifically what those things are is like, I worked in restaurants. I met people that were not from the film world that were not from NYU. I met people who didn't go to college. I met people who were older than me, like a lot older than me. I met people who, as I got older, were a lot younger. I met people from all over the world. Um, I met, basically, I met, I just expanded. Everything expanded. I really, I got interested in drugs <laughs> and not anything like crazy. Like I never did, I've never done heroin or anything like that. Um, but like I had never smoked weed in high school and I had only drunk, drank like beer, like on a handful of occasions. Um, and I like smoked weed. I smoked too much weed for a while. <laughs> um, I don't regret it. Just because I went too far with something, I, I'm I don't regret the times that it was good. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. And like also, I think it's interesting what you're saying about you know the restaurant jobs and all this that you met all these people and everything. It's also like a job. You know whether it's a blue collar job, whatever you want to call it, in New York City is different than that job somewhere else in the country. Um, 100%. You, you know, you're going to meet people who are, you know, from all walks of life. The customers are going to be from everywhere. It's such a cosmopolitan city and everything. Whereas, you know, that job really might be a dead-end job somewhere else. Um, and again, not even to say that, that that dead-end job, wherever, you know, is good or bad. I mean, you know, that might be right for somebody else. Um, but especially as, you know, filmmakers and people who want fodder for stories and everything, um, any experience like that in the city is a very specific one in the end. A hundred percent. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. I mean, I, I think I, I think just getting older, I, you know, become more confident in myself and it's allowed me to be more compassionate towards other people. Um, and I guess more compassionate towards myself too. But I think that also just, you know, being, you learn so much about other people's perspective, perspectives, and it goes beyond just like, oh, I met somebody from like China, like, and they, and they have like this political perspective or whatever. It's, it goes so much beyond that. Like there's, um, Okay, I guess a better way to describe it is like I, you know, so like uh, the last 10 years, you know, I would go home to visit my family and like my uncle who I get along with, like, and we have historically had like, you know, we have like, uh, you know, uh, not arguments, but we have like debates sure, and yeah. very much like in the, in the service of like debating like we enjoy debating with each other yep, yep. um but we have very different opinions and like he he'll be like oh you know you're just a new yorker like you're a new york liberal and he says it like half jokingly but i also be- believe that he believes it where he's like you're a new york liberal and you've like gone to new york and you like believe all this stuff he's not even the most conservative person like out there at by any means uh but you know that kind of mentality and then i used to think about that you know but it's more than just being like oh i met liberal people in new york and i have liberal personality like liberal things that i picked up it's just like i like i don't know like i wish i could explain it better um i think just one thing that i'm really happy about is that i've stopped trying 
to know what the right thing is, like the ultimate, right? Like I feel like I was like subconsciously or unconsciously searching for like, this is the right way to live. This is the right job to have. This is the right thing. I still struggle with that, but a lot less than I used to. And I think what now I'm just like, oh, I just want to learn more. I just, I enjoy the layers of people and like, I really enjoy that. And I think one thing about New York that's really hard, but can be really cool is that like, it's a revolving door and people are constantly coming in and out of your life. At least that's been my experience here. And that can be really hard when like you, you know, when people move or whatever, maybe they're still here. You just don't see them anymore. Um, But you know, it's, there's like layers of like people. It's like, it's, it's, it's changed me a lot, I think, as a person and also, like, as a writer and, like, what I'm interested in doing. And, um, yeah. Definitely. And, you know, I think, it, like you said, extremely informative uh, location and everything. And also, um, just, I think that's a great mindset to have that, you know, it's not that you have to find the peak way to live or the right way to live or something, but to, you know, continue learning and kind of, you know, expanding your experiences and things like that. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like that, like expanding experiences can be fun. It doesn't have to be scary. Absolutely. Um, sometimes it's scary, but like it's, I think ultimately it's really fun. And I think that I also, you know, I, I believe that every human being is an artist and it doesn't necessarily mean like everyone's a director or a musician or whatever. But I think that like when we were talking earlier about like, when I was using that analogy of like the gatekeeper, the jailkeeper, and your your like creative brain is trying to sneak out. Yeah. I think that everybody has that, and I've realized from the different jobs that I have that everybody has something else to them that is like their imagination or like their creativity, and it's like creation, and it's like, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I do really believe that everybody's an artist, and I it doesn't mean that like everyone's going to have paintings up in like the Met or something, but it's, you can be an artist in your day to day life, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's more types of art than just like what we talk about, like movies, music, fine art. Like, I think there's like more things. I think there's like the art of conversation. I think there's the art of listening. I think that like, I think some people like they, it sounds weird to say get off, but that's the, best way for me to under to describe it but it's like they get off on listening to other people like some people are just like that's their art like they can create an atmosphere where they're listening really well and they make you feel heard and then you just feel better about yourself and then you go out and you know you do your thing because you feel you know good like (laughs) it's like kind of simplistic but in 2014 is that when you shot fashion week yes i shot new york fashion week as a photographer how, how did you fall into that? I mean, that's a major event to, to photograph. How, you know, I'm just very curious it about how, so how you got crazy. that opportunity. Yeah, you know, that is so crazy. And it's like, in the same way that like ending up at like the film school at NYU is like so crazy and seems random to me. This kind of seems like that too. I, I had just bought a camera. I had bought like a Canon 6D, which is like similar to the 5D digital DSLR cameras. And I bought a lens and... I had had that camera for and the lens probably for like two or three months, maybe. I don't even know if I had it that long. And I was like, oh, I want to go. Start. I was like, now I have a camera. I want to go start using it. So I think I found that opportunity on Craigslist. Okay. And I got to say, props to Craigslist. I found a lot of jobs on Craigslist over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think I found that job on Craigslist. And 
it was for this um, blog that I don't think exists anymore, but it was called Hey, Hey, Gorgeous. Okay. And this guy was like, hey, we're looking for photographers for New York Fashion Week. You have to have your own camera and lens. But like, he's like, I'll give you like, you know, you all backstage access and the, and you'll go to the runway shows. And I, I don't remember like what I knew about Fashion Week or fashion as an industry. Probably very little. <laughs> yeah, that was my other question. Did, did you have any background in fashion or interest? Because, you know, from after uh, knowing you and living with you and everything, I never... Uh, I don't think either of us are the most, uh, quote, uh, fashionable uh, people or fashion, uh, fashion-minded people. <laughs> well, I, I'm definitely, now I'm very into fa- my own fashion. Okay. Um, and I say my own fashion because I don't know too much about the what's new in the fashion world every year or whatever. But I definitely have a lot more of a style than I ever did when we were living together. Uh, and... Uh, I, I, I'm much more into that. And in the same vein of like, like being an artist and like just wanting to express myself and like everything, like that's definitely become a whole other thing. But I, that's kind of a side thing where as far as fashion week goes, you know, I, I reached out to this guy and it was crazy too, because I, I never met him. He was like in, I think he was somewhere in California and he, I guess, did a lot of these events. You know, these he needed photographers for these events because they do fashion week around the around the world. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. And so, like this one, he was like remote, but I, you know, talked to him and he was like, "Yeah, like put my name on a list." And fashion week, I think, is like seven days or ten days, and I was on the list backstage list for any show. Wow. I I wanted to go to. Um. He had ones that like I had to go to. But, like, if there were other ones, like, he would just put me on. And I think there was, like, maybe three or four of us doing this. Like, for, like two of us were doing photos, and I think two were writing little blog posts. Okay. Um, and um, I hadn't – I don't think I had any idea what I was getting into. And it was insane. I mean, it was so cool and – it's something I would absolutely do again. Like I, it's funny cause I did it and then I was like, okay, I did that. And like, then I was like, let me do something else. And like, that was my, at the time that was my um, mentality, mm-hmm. you know, it was like not very much like, Oh, let's do that again. It was just sort of, let's, let's try something else. I'll try something else. I'll try something else. So, but yeah, so I did it and it was, it was crazy. I mean, I would show up, I would be like, Hey, I'm the photographer. They would look up on a list and my name was there. And then I would get to go backstage while the models were, in makeup, hair, while they were changing. And it's like, there's like people there, you know, it's like, it's, it, it's, uh, so crazy because the backstage is like, there's so many people there. There's agents, all kinds of agents. There's fashion people with companies, all pro- like everyone's promoting. It's sort of like how I've heard can described like the film festival at can, like, where it's like, you know, you go to see these movies, but really it's a, it's like a networking and like pitch thing. Mm-hmm. And like, there was definitely an element of that there. Like the designers are there, like, and, and you would just go to these rooms and like, there's like 20 or 30 people around and then you just go around and then people would see that I'm taking photos and be like, Oh my God, who are you? Like, who are you? Like you're taking photos, like blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm this person, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then like the models, they're all trained. Like as soon as the photographer, the, the camera comes up, they're trained to like, pose right and then i could also i could also just be like hey do this do this do this and they like of course like they want it because they're all 
so this was the crazy thing. I don't know if all modeling is like this, but at the, in my experience, which is limited at the time, they all seemed like they were like 15 or 16 years old from like somewhere in like Eastern Europe. Mm, wow. That that was like most of the people that I met. There were some like British and, and I don't think there were like any American ones, but I could be wrong. But they were all very young. Um, I didn't see anybody that looked like they were older than that was a model that looked like they were older than 22 or 23. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I, I could be wrong. I don't want to like say anything that's modeling or fashion. Cause I, I just don't know a lot, but that was what I, I remember thinking that at the time I was like, wow, this is so weird. A lot of them didn't speak English. Wow. Hmm. Um, I was like, wow, this is just such, you know, again, it's like taking a gen ed in college. It's just eye opening. You do something that's completely different and you just suddenly you have this like glimpse into it. But anyway, I had an amazing time and I think that was also where I realized I love taking portraits. Oh, I wanted to ask you about the, the specs of the technical side of that shoot. Also, um, you said you went there with your camera and the one lens you had and everything. Are, are there, was that lens quote unquote appropriate for fashion photography? And are there, um, is there a specific tech, uh, that you know of that, you know, is the, like the, the industry standard for, for fashion shoots or something. So this was, again, this was like fall, I want to say 2014. So we're talking about five years ago, more than a little more than five years ago. Right. Um, but, um, I would say all of the other photographers I saw there had zoom lenses, maybe two zoom lenses. So like maybe two ranges. So maybe like a, Maybe, you know, like a uh, 24 to 70 to get like some wide, some medium, some close, and then maybe like a 70 to 200. Because when you're on the runway, uh, you're all in this tiny little box, like not a, not an actual box, but like they like tape, you know, like a box on the ground. Yep. And all the photographers have to be there. And there's like 50 photographers packed into this little tiny place. And like the runway, you know, it's like a rectangle, right? Mm-hmm. They walk down one end, they turn, they go back up. You're at the end of the rectangle. So it's like right when they're turning to go back up, that's where all the photographers are. Um, there are, of course, like some on the sides and whatever, but like pretty much that's where everyone is. And um, so for that, I was like, my thing, like it, it was long enough. I have a, I have a Zeiss 85 millimeter lens. I still use it today. I love that lens. I shoot film photography on it. I shoot digital on it. It's amazing. Um, However, it's a manual focus lens. So I was probably looked like, like, first of all, they were probably like, who is this kid? Cause everyone there is like, they're like a, they're like, they're like adults. They're like, you know, in their forties, like they're like professional, like they do stuff like this. All They're just like event photographers, you know? Yep. And like newspaper photographers and stuff. Um, and so for the runway stuff, that was difficult because, you know, they're shooting like their, their cameras go off and it sounds like machine guns. You know, it's like, duh, 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 because they're taking like 50 photos at once, Yeah, yeah. you know, like, and now cameras can do like, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 12 photos a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and so essentially they just, they get every, you know, it's crazy. Cause if a second of film is 24 frames and you shoot 12 frames a second, you're getting like, it's almost like you're shooting a movie. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's like half the speed at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the runway stuff, I was I didn't enjoy that much. Um, also, those shows are so fast. I don't know if people know that or not. They are like, you go into the show, everyone's there, everyone's dressed up waiting. You wait, you wait, you wait. The show starts. The runway part is like two minutes. No exaggeration. Two wow. minutes. Two to three minutes. Like, they come out. 
they go back, they change, maybe each model does like two or three looks, so they walk the runway maybe two or three times, and then the designer comes out, like bows, everybody claps, and then it's over. And I was like, it was such a crazy experience. Like, it's so crazy. It's something I would definitely like to write about at some point, like sit down and gather my thoughts about it. But, um, you know, so the runway stuff I didn't like that much. I also, I don't shoot with automatic lenses. I mean, I, I have before, but like, that's just not my style of photography. Like I like to take my time and when I would do the backstage stuff or like there were certain shows where they would basically design a room a certain way and the models would just stand there. Like there was one show that I went to instead of a runway show. And I liked these shows way better. Mm -hmm. Um, I walked into one and it was a big square room, right? And the models are in, uh, the center and there's like, like platforms in a square shape. And there's enough room where all the people who are the guests can walk around and you walk around at your leisure and the models are wearing the outfits and they're all, you know, hair and makeup and everything. And they just stand there posing. Uh, That's pretty cool. It's a cool opportunity. Yeah. And then like they'll stand in a pose for like, like 30, 45 seconds and then they'll move into a new pose. And so it's awesome. It's like living art. Yep. It's like going to a museum, but it moves. It's so fucking dope. Um, and hey, I want to ask you one, one cool question yeah. about the runway before yeah. we get too off topic. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, just standing in that box with all the other photographers, did you feel any sense of like competition or um, uh, judgment by by the other photographers, or is everybody just like totally entrenched in their their thing? Uh, indifference. I think everybody was entrenched in their own thing. These guys would get there. They were, pro- I mean, they were pros, and yep. they. I don't think. I, mean, I don't want to speak for them because I didn't really talk to any of them, but they didn't seem like they cared one bit about fashion or fashion week. Like they showed up, they, they machine gunned their cameras off and they left. I mean, they were in and out of there. I was like, I would go early and I would hang out and wait. Cause I just thought it was so cool. And like, I would, I would just hang out there and like, you know, wait for the show to start and watch people and whatever. But they, these guys, it was like, so let's say I get there 20 or 30 minutes in advance. Right. And like, I'm like one of the only photographers there literally like two minutes before the show is about to start, like 40 of these guys come in, they crowd into this little, and it's a tiered box so that the people in the back are above. So everybody can get a shot. And it's like, they all, and also you're, you have a spot within the box. I forgot about that. So like you would have a tiny little space and it would be like, you know, time Warner. And if you're the time Warner photographer, uh, you would go to that box. And so they all kind of knew and you would just go to their box. They would un- they would do. They all had their tripods out. Everything, whatever. Shoot, pack it up very quickly, and and leave and go to the next one. Um. So, so I and I definitely think it was indifference. I didn't. I did talk to a lot of people there, but not the other photographers. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely intimidated too. I was like, here I am. I was like, a couple of years out of school. I just got my first camera and lens, like doing this thing, and like, blah blah blah. But I did talk to like I talked to like other like guests. I talked to the models. I talked to like the agent type people that were like backstage and stuff like that. Um, and that was fun. Uh, I want to talk about the escape 2015. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, is this, give me, give me some background uh, on this film where, where the inspiration came from um, and just how you got started with this project, where you, where you were in life and everything. Yeah, for sure. And I do want to I preface the story that, that this was like, a big turning point for me making that, that movie. Okay. Um, but essentially I was honest. So at this point in my life, I was like freelancing. I was doing a lot of like gripping and gaffing, which is just like lighting equipment, um, and lighting. Um, and 
which might sound weird because I just said like, oh, there's a lot that I didn't know. But I think that it's we, – we were still using like what I consider to be older technology, which I did know more about. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, anyway, I was on a short film. I think it was like a Columbia student film. And I – we were – God, I don't know where we were. We were somewhere because we were staying in a hotel. So maybe Massachusetts or upstate New York or something. I don't know. But I met um, some people on that shoot that were really cool. And that was like, there was like sort of this period of time where I was like working on these Columbia uh, student films, Mm -hmm. Columbia University, which was really interesting because they sort of have a different approach to things. Okay. Um, And like Columbia is in New York City. It's Columbia and New York are both, or Columbia and NYU are both in Manhattan, but Columbia is in the top of Manhattan, NYU is in the bottom, and they couldn't be more different. Like they couldn't be more different schools, more different neighborhoods, um, which is funny. But I they, these were like grad film students, and I was I worked on like a series of of short films for them, and I worked on this one. And I met this guy named Alex Daniels, um, and we just hit it off, and like we both liked Todorowski, we both smoked weed and like he was really cool because he seemed like more spiritual than me. Okay. And I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but like, like at the time I was very literal, I think, even Mm -hmm. though I liked Todorowski and I liked art and I was getting to all kinds of stuff. I was still very literal. I feel, and now I'm much more like, open and you know i don't know just spiritual is probably the best word but it sounds kind of cliche but anyway i liked him because he was also like very like down to earth and so we could like talk he wasn't like a hippie yep yep. (laughs) yeah and so i really liked that i was like oh it's like he can talk about things but he also seems like he cares about like making rent (laughs) right and i was like that's i was like cool i can relate to that so we hit it off, and then after that shoot, we became friends, and we were like, let's collaborate on something. I was, We were both very much like, we just want to make something. And so I, I honestly don't know who came up with the idea. He, he directed it. I shot it. I think we came up with the idea together, but he might have come up with it. Um, but he was like, I have this uh, – uh, I do remember him being like, I have this uh, skate, like a uh, fire escape by my apartment. I think it would be really cool to shoot something on it. And, like, I think that was, like, the beginning of the idea. Mm-hmm. And so we met, and, I don't know, over some period of time, we came up with this idea. But we shot it shortly after, a, like, within t- uh, two months of meeting, we shot that. So it, was, it wasn't too long after. And there's, like, so many reasons why I love, I love making that. One is that there's no dialogue. And it reminded me of being when we were shooting in um, Sight and Sound in school to the actor that was in that was somebody that I had I had met and known when we were servers together working in a restaurant like two or three years before, like two years before I and Alex happened to go to a play one night and see this guy in the play and approached him without knowing that I knew him. Wow. And approached him and was like, I, th- I would love to make a short film with you. Yeah. Like I'm working on this short film. And then one day, like I show up to like shoot this thing and it's this guy. 
Well, again, the uh, spiritual connection, the synchronicity. <laughs> and when that stuff happens, that's always a good sign. Yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. I was like, this is, I'm on the right track. I really believe, like, I don't know if I really believe in, like, a bigger actual spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. But I do believe in, like, what do they call it? Like, ka or, like, like karma or, like, that's just, it's good. You know, it makes me happy. It puts mm-hmm. me in a good mood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. And so, yeah, and so we, you know, we had this idea, and, um... And his face is great, that actor. Oh, he's Mika, yeah, Mika Jennings, uh, he's amazing, and he, it was such a physical performance. Exactly, yeah. And I never really thought about that, like, a a performance being physical. I never really had much thought for actors, or respect for actors, to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. I was very much, for a long time, like, it's the director's movie, like... Everybody is just a pawn, like a not a pawn, but like a like a mach- cog. Everybody's yeah, yeah. a cog in my machine, and now I don't think that at all. I've I'm like super. I, actors are fucking awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. But um, that was like I think because I knew him and I was already friendly with him, I was like had good vibes towards him, and so we yeah we we shot that. I think we shot it over like a weekend. I think it was like two days. Okay. Um, and. The other reason why I love that is because it was the first time where, like, I started, albeit very modestly, I started, like, talking about my, like, anxiety and, like, my, like, sort of... And I was just talking about it with Alex. Like, it was just one person who was my friend. But for me, that was a really big deal. Like, I have struggled a lot of my life with anxiety, and it's much better now. But especially at that time, I was still dealing with it. Um... And I still am dealing with it, but it was a bigger deal. And so uh, that movie to me is – there is what it's about, but it's also about like – I think you can look at it two ways. You can look at it very literal. It's literally about a guy who gets stuck on his fire escape. But like it's also about like this person who is like – has this like overwhelming anxiety yes. and like – existential dread and you never know what it's about right like it, it's like in the beginning like i remember alex was very much like i want it to just be like ambiguous mm-hmm. and i was like okay and it's like in the beginning he like walks into the kitchen and he sees this picture of this like little girl and, and it like looks like something from like old time like an old tiny photo and like that kind of triggers everything but like you never really know you don't really know who this guy was before and i love that i was wondering with the picture too my first thought was oh maybe it's his sister um, but then you look at the photo and it's a very old timey photo. I said, Oh, maybe it's his mother from, you know, a childhood photo of his mom or something. Um, and you, you see him pick up the phone and try to call somebody. Um, so yeah. that, that was kind of the, the narrative I read into it that, you know, he saw the photo and said, Oh, I haven't called my mother in a while. I should drop her a line. It leads to this, uh, anxiety, uh, ridden experience out on the fire escape. Yeah, exactly. And I think that like, it's super simple and like, I don't know if there's multiple, I mean, that's. I don't know if there's multiple ways to read into that or not. Um, but I do think that it's like, I really, I realized that I really like the idea that you can be ambiguous and the audience is just going to put their, they're going to fill in the gaps. Yeah. It's like, a, and I think I, you know, is like, there's a lot of other things that have influenced me to think about this, but like I've more and more thought about film as like psychological games almost. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right way to, to describe it. But it's sort of like. What do you mean by that? Well, it's like everything you do in a movie is influencing the person that's watching it. And you can 
you can like do things like like for in this example it's like this idea that like things can be ambivalent and a mm-hmm. person will just fill in the blanks they will just do it it's right. like it reminds me of like this psychology test in high school when i took high school, uh, psychology class in high school and it was like there was like a sentence and we all read it on the board like on the overhead and then like we looked at it again and it's like there's no vowels but like your brain just fills in the gaps right we right. just read the sentence correct or like there was one that was like it, the sense was maybe like have a nice day and it was like maybe like have a night like on the first line nice day and then like a second line maybe the last word on the third line was like today so it was like have a nice day today and like she put it up on the overhead and it's like have a nice day today and then she's like look at it again and it said have a nice nice day day today right like the yep. word nice is there twice and you don't even see it yep the mind kind of searches to to normalize it or to you know make it something that it's familiar with whatever exactly Exactly. And I think that like, that's really cool. And it made me start thinking about film and TV and just visual medium in a different way. And I think it made me start thinking about editing a lot more too. Um, and, um, I think the phrase psychological game sounds a little like, again, a little dark. So maybe that's not the best way to describe it, but there is sort of like, you are having this give and take with, with the audience. It's not just you make something and show it to them. It's, you make something and they're giving you something as they watch it and they're receiving and they're, it's a give and take. And, um, I think it makes it more alive. Definitely. It makes, yep. Yeah. The, the experience more alive. And I think that like, if you were to ask me like, Oh, what are your favorite movies or favorite what directors or whatever? It's where I feel engaged. And I do this thing. I've noticed it as I get older more when I'm in the theater and I'm in a movie that I really like, I sit forward. Like I'll mm-hmm. lean forward like halfway through the movie. And whenever I do that, it's like a, a reminder. I'm like, oh, you like this movie. Yeah. Like, you are – you want to get closer to it. You physically want to get closer to it. Absolutely. Yep. And, and like that's what I want to do. Like that's the stuff I want to do in my life is like I want to I want to make something that like people physically want to get closer to it. Yep. On, on, <laughs> on that note, um, I don't know if you want to reveal this or not, but – just with the the final shot where he's looking up and he sees the bird flying, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of interpreted that as like uh, a freedom and a non-anxiety uh, lifestyle, and you know, flying over the problems that that sort of thing. Um, is there any uh, analysis that, or specifics that you have about it? Um, I think that that's pretty much it. I think that. Um... One thing that I really, and we are, we can talk about the ending. One thing I really like about that ending is that when I've shown it to people, they're always like, is this guy about to jump off? They're like, is this guy about to commit suicide? Like if he's about to jump off this thing, like I'm going to like have a problem or blah, blah, blah. Like, and then, and then it, like, he like flies away and they're like, what? They're just like, it's, it goes from being like angry to being like, what? It's just like relief or, or catharsis at the end. And that's what I mean about playing the give and take with the audience where you, you know, it's so that ending I think is really effective because you've tricked, you trick them into, they're so convinced something's going to happen, right? They're so convinced and they can't even imagine another possibility. And then when the other possibility happens, they're relieved. And that's what it's about. It's about relief. That whole, that short film is about feeling relief. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, and that's a successful film, right? Like in my opinion. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I mean about like the psychological aspect of it. And it's like, uh, I remember something from school. I had it 
multiple teachers tell me this, you know, a film's ending should be, what is it? Like unexpected, but inevitable. Okay. That's what they said. Okay. Like you like, you don't see it coming, but once it happens, you're like, it couldn't have ended any other way. Gotcha. Yeah. And I always try to do that. So like, you know, whether you're trying to mislead the audience or you're trying to build up one thing or like in that case with this movie, it's not even misleading them because the movie is about panic and dread and so you want the audience to feel that, and then it's about relief, and so you want the audience to feel that too. No, yeah, makes sense. And then I have a question on the uh, technical note on that movie. Um, I think there are two shots, maybe more, where I think one of them is when you're looking up at the cigarette smoker on the, the, the flight above on the fire escape. And yes. the other shot, I think it's of the bird at the end, where um, there's kind of like a, a chroma skew. That's how I would yes. describe it. Uh, I'm just curious, was that a lens or is that post? That was post. And okay. that was something. Also, that guy who smokes on the fire escape, that's Alex. That's the director. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and yeah, that was something he put on. He put it on. He put it on the bird because he. I remember him saying, like, I think he said, like, he wanted it to be. I hope he doesn't mind me talking about this now, but I don't, I don't think he would. But I think I'll have, I'll have him on the wanted, podcast to clarify. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think he said like he wanted it to be, you know, a little bit like emotional, like sort of like maybe like if it's like a hot day, you're like dehydrated and like you're so, so much adrenaline pumping through your head and it's like, you know, it's kind of like dreamy. Um, don't quote me on that, but that's kind of what I remember saying. And then I think like it was a similar thing where like – I guess in those two shots, that's the only time where like he sees somebody else, you know, like he sees a bird or he sees a person. And I think maybe it was like a similar type thing where he just feels like this person's like out of reach and, um, something to that effect. Yeah, definitely. I just, you know, I was just uh, curious on the technical side. It's a cool effect and it was used sparingly. So I thought it was effective. Yeah. I thought it, it worked really well. And also the idea of him seeing the bird was Alex's idea as well. I think originally, I don't think that was in there. And I do, I don't remember the specifics, but I do remember him saying something about like, I put the bird in because blah, 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 blah. And I think it's effective too. It's a nice beat before the very, the very end. Yeah. How did you get that shot of the bird? I don't remember. I don't, it might've just been a bird. Honestly, it might've just been a bird. We were, (laughs) you know, there was like every position that Mika, the actor is in, I was in at some point with the camera. Mm -hmm. So it could have been like, I was just laying down and he was, and Alex and Mika were talking and I just shot something. Uh, it could have been something he shot. I, I honestly don't remember. So there was no uh, rental of animals from uh, from the po- the post house or whatever. <laughs> no, we didn't rent any birds, but um, we did use a drone. Okay. For that for that last shot, and um, that was a whole thing. <laughs> that last shot was multiple days in fact i think we shot that last we shot the whole thing except for the last last shot over like a weekend and i think we shot that last shot like the next summer or like six months later or something um and that was such a hassle flying this drone um neither of us knew what we were doing <laughs> it's, and you know it's it's hard it's harder than it looks man <laughs> yeah, yeah it's yeah flying those things and we didn't even have a very big one i mean ours was very small and it, it was it was difficult mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but it was wor- worth it how did you go about um planning out the shots for that film was everything storyboarded you know i can't remember 
um, we talked, we definitely talked about it a lot. I don't know if we ever storyboarded anything, but like, uh, there were multiple times where I went over, like I said, that was his apartment. So there were multiple times where I went over to his apartment and like, I would, you know, we would just go out and I brought my camera over and I, I think maybe we took photos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just, you know, I'd be like, well, okay. So then he goes here and then he goes here. And in fact, that's how we wrote it. Like we, there was no, I don't think there was a script he might've written something at some point of like a shot list sort of script, but it was basically like, okay, he goes in here. Where's the camera? He goes in here. This happens next. Like then like figuring out when he goes out on the fire escape, it's like, okay, well, how do we show that? How do we show that it's like increasing in anxiety? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like all these things happening and like, where's the camera for here? And where's the camera for here? And I think, I I think that was the first time where I was like, Oh, where's the camera? I was thinking about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I really ever thought about that before. Yeah. There were some great shots in there. Like, uh, there's one looking up um, at the main actor when he's trying to come down the, the stairs and the it's a shallow depth of field shot and the shoe is in focus. Um, yeah, yeah. Looking up like that. You know, I thought that was very um, dramatic. And also there's a shot where the camera kind of, I think towards the beginning when he gets locked out, when the camera tilts up and um, it's a very wide angle and the, the building on the other side of the street comes into frame a little bit um, and it's slightly disorienting. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, you know, definitely cool shots in there. I was just wondering if those had been uh, very worked out or if they were more spontaneous. I think it, I would, I think it was like a combination. Um, but again, going back to like your human collaborators being your best piece of equipment, he and I were like so in sync on that. Like the whole, the whole thing, like the whole idea and the story and like, um, that you know it definitely and then mika was just so game he mm-hmm. was just so game for anything um yeah. which i was like really super appreciative of um and like you know he really sells it you feel what that what he's feeling in, in that um his performance yeah he really killed it the next film uh that i saw of yours was glenn gary glenn escalator yeah, Glenn Gary, Glenn Escalator. Yeah, <laughs> which is so. The people who are in that uh, video are, are a comedy troupe, and okay. they wrote a sat like. Have you heard of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? It's like a David Mamet play. Yeah. Um, they made a satire called Glenn Gary, Glenn Escalator, which is about people who are trying to sell escalators and. Uh, they're escalator salesmen, mm-hmm. um, and they were putting it on at the pit in New York, which is like a, a the People's Improv Theater, I think it stands for. Okay, and, yeah, yeah. And um, at that time, I was working with this guy. Co- Wait, do you know Colin? Colin Jacobsick. Uh, what's his last name? Colin Jacobsick. Oh yes, I lived with him for a little bit. Yes, yeah. yes, I, I so, met him through you. I know him. Yes, and so he uh, and I had like gotten in touch after uh, not seeing each other for a while and we had we started shooting a bunch of stuff together and that was one of them and he so he directed that i shot it and basically he was like i specifically remember not wanting to do it and it was like he was basically like they just want us to shoot some like something like just like a little promo thing they can put out gotcha you know blah 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 and then it like i remember not wanting to do it and then i remember like as we started either talking about it or when we went to go do it like it started to become like something that I got really excited about. Um, and, um, that one is like, just that video is just like, first of all, I love it, but also like, like the final product I think is great, but also 
it, I just remember that. And I just remember, it was like a good lesson for me of being like, you may not feel like you want to do this right now, but like once you're there, like things can change. Right. Um, mm. uh, and that was, was really cool. And I, and also that is totally a, com- that's a comedy. The play that they put on is totally a comedy, like people laughing out loud, funny, but I feel like what we did is not like super funny. It's no, like, I didn't interpret it that way ominous. at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I watched <laughs> it as like some weird experimental piece. Yeah. I was, I, I don't know. That's why I'm, I'm a little baffled by this one. <laughs> yeah, it's like it is. It's like weird and it's like brooding. I'm, I'm and relieved like that you told sexual. me it was a comedy. <laughs> Watch this. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know, Mark Satin. This is uh, this is heightened <laughs> surrealism or something. And that I mean, a lot of credit goes to Colin for that because he edited it. And he put that he put that music on, and like I, I definitely think a lot of it came out in the editing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's I don't know. I love it. I think it's really cool. And also, that was so running gun. I mean, we talking about um cheap lighting yeah there's two setups for that video there's the setup in the subway where they're on the uh escalator yep and then there's the setup where it's like the close-ups of all their faces right and they're like turning and looking in the camera and it's like kind of dark um so for that second setup uh they literally we were in colin's apartment we turned off all the lights we had one overhead light which i believe was like one of those i, th- I believe it was a can light so it was like a cheap thing you can get at Home Depot because yep. Colin is very, very into like, how do we do this for no money or almost no, he's like, he's like almost like, like anti-filmmaker. Like that's not the right way to say it, but like, like he, he doesn't want to be limited by like having to get the most expensive gear and he'll like go in the opposite direction and be like, what, how can we do this with like the least expensive gear or totally like the least yep. film type of gear? Yeah, exactly. So cool. And that was, I've always been a little bit resistant to that, but it's usually comes out really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case we had like one of these can lights. I'm sure you've used them before. It's like a silver reflector dish and like a, just a high output light bulb Yes, yep. uh, on like a cheap light stand. Yep. And it was one light above their head and that was it. And then, uh, the subway stuff was crazy because shooting in the subway is like really weird. Like, I've always heard like you're not supposed to do it and like they'll kick you out and they'll like take your camera and blah blah blah. But then like I've shot in the subway before. I've known people have shot and like there's never a problem. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't really know, but I remember being like kind of worried about it. Um because I was like, We're shooting on my camera and my lens and I don't want somebody to come and confiscate it. Mm-hmm. Um and but we shot it and I just remember it being like very quick. We shot it very, very quickly, and I just we kept having them <laughs> go up and down this escalator. How many times did you ride up and down? So many times, so <laughs> many times, and and the whole time I was like, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, like come on, we just do this, do this, do this. I was like, okay, move your like. I was like so fast paced because I was just like, we have to do it, like get in and get out. Like I was like, move your elbow like two inches to the right. Okay, yeah, you do this. Okay, all right, perfect, go, go, go. And then I like they'd come down and I'd be like, okay, like this time just like like Emily, like look a little bit more like like sure of yourself and like you know you like look like this and like you like move your head like a little bit like this and it's like okay go 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 <laughs> it was like it was crazy because it was like they would have to do all that position and then they would break it to get to the top again right and right. they'd have to like get right back in that position and they were really good at it i feel like that would be something that would be pretty hard but they were really good at like 
because like you're in three dimensional space, you don't really have marks. You know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. there's no marks. You're on this time. Like you have to get your hand or your elbow and your neck positioned a certain way. Um, you know, so it's they. It was really great. And then I remember I was like, okay, this is really. I had fun. I was like, this is cool. I'm really proud of these shots. And then Colin took it and he turned it around like, I don't know, that night or the next day and he put that music on and he was like, I don't know what this is, but it's really crazy. Kind of like what your response was. And then he showed it to me and I was just like, amazing. I was like, this is, this is amazing. Like it's, it's cool. Yeah, very cool. It's really cool. And just, it's just different. It's so different. And you know? that's the thing I was about to say also as a, a promotional piece essentially, right? Because it's almost like yeah. advertising or marketing for that, that comedy group. Um, it's a great piece. I mean, I think the things that take you off guard and, you know, you look and you say, is this some weird experimental film or is, <laughs> is it a, a piece of comedy or what? You know, suddenly you're intrigued and that's what will make you, you know, buy a ticket to actually see the show or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. So I exactly. love that. You know, it stands out. It's not just, uh, it's out of the box in that way. Yeah. That's, and that's also like, there's so many things like when I was young, uh, when I was like a kid, that you like stumble upon and you have that reaction. You're like, what is this? Right. You know, yeah. it's like, and it's not just movies or TV shows. It's all kinds of stuff. Like, I got, do you know the comic book series, the Sandman by Neil Gaiman? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I do. You, you should listen to the podcast I did with Patrick Meany. He, uh, he did a, a, the documentary on Neil Gaiman. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Well then, yeah, I haven't listened to that one yet. I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I remember when I was a kid, I was like probably like 10 or 11. My dad had those comic books. He had the whole series. Yeah. And I wasn't – now I, I'm obsessed with comic books, graphic novels, everything. But at the time, I didn't really know anything about it. And I remember like going through his bookshelf one day and like seeing that. And I was like – I was like, what is this? I was like, this is a comic book. But I was like, this is not not for kids. I could tell. Like this was – like it was like using like words that are like in literature, right? Like vocabulary that like – I didn't associate it with superheroes. Totally. And yep. the art is like a lot of it's by like painters, you mm -hmm, know, it's mm -hmm. like, this isn't like neat lines where you can un like, I can't tell where like this person's line, like the line that is like their like shirt or their body. Like I, I, you know what I mean? I can't tell where it ends. And then I was like, every book in that series is by like different artists. So like the art was different. I was like, this is definitely one series, but, but I was like, but it's different art. I was like, what is like every single thing about it. I was just like, what is this? And then it wasn't until probably like five years later that I, I used to go to the library a lot. And like, they, they had those in the library and I was like, oh yeah, I remember my dad had this and I got them out and I read them in high school and I was like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's much more than just, you know, a comic book or something like that. Yeah. And still, I still, to this day, I'm like, this is much more, much more than a comic book. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, but I love those moments, you know, when you're, and like, I, I, it's so exciting. You know, it's like you're opening up a mystery box or something. You're just like, what is this? Like, it's so weird. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, like I remember my dad had a Kama Sutra book. <laughs> uh, Cause he, my dad loves it. Or he did. He used to read all the time. I don't know, but he, he would have books around all the time. Uh -huh. And like, and I remember he had like this Kama Sutra book. And I remember waking up one day and like, I don't know, like I think my bed or whatever was like, because it was like a pull-out couch in the living room where all the books were. And I think like I looked up or something and I saw this book on the top shelf and I was like, what is that? I remember looking through it and just being like, and this was when I was, I was like nine or 10. So it was like pre-puberty, you know, I don't know what, I probably had very no sexual knowledge. I don't know. Right, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and you know, it's like, again, it's like, this is like, I was like, I know this is sex, 
without knowing anything about sex, I was like, I know this is sex. You just like instinctually know. Yeah, so but out I was of context. Like, yeah, I was like, but it's like Indian or like Tibetan or like Asian. And I was like, is this different? And then like there's all these diagrams and I was like – but the diagrams were drawn in a way where I was like – it wasn't just like a scientific diagram. It was like, it was like artistic. Like yeah. an artist drew these pictures and I was like – you know, I don't know. I'm convinced those moments like define you. You know, mm. you have these moments of like you don't know what to make of it, and then it's like you spend your life trying to make things of it or combining things in in a, in a way like even just that concept of like sex and art, mm. right? It's like that concept of like an artist drew something sexual, but it's not pornographic. It's like and and like that can spur you down all kinds of conversations about like what you know what's art what's pornography which is like in the art world that's been for as long as humans have been around that's been a conversation you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah I, so anyway so yeah so it's like you know i want so colin edited that video and he sent it to me and that was my reaction i was like what is this and it's like having that reaction i was like this is something i was like this is something and this is really cool and it's like again like i mentioned before like dealing with a lot of anxieties and moments of self-loathing when you when you make something like that and you see it it's like okay at least i made this (laughs) it's like even if i died today and i never figured out so many things in my life at least i made this it's like a Um, marker of your existence in some ways right yeah a marker that i that means something to me absolutely yeah for sure a marker and it's awesome to do this podcast because even as we're talking i'm just thinking like it's so cool to like track these stages of my life with you via the stuff that I've made. And it's like, I'm just makes me so glad that I made stuff that we can talk about. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And that's why also I love talking about like people's early work and stuff like that. It's not that, you know, I look at it and I say, Oh, well that was the early work. It's not as good as what they're doing now. You know, I, I see it as part of the evolution. You're kind of like a biographer of like normal people. That's awesome. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we're not, like, presidents or, like, celebrities. (laughs) You're just like, tell me about your life. (laughs) But the thing is, also, Marco, like, that's one of the things with these podcasts is that I'm interviewing people that I I honestly have faith in their careers and everything. And, for example, if somebody handed me a conversation, um, you know, between, like, Stanley Kubrick and somebody else when he was 25 or 30 or whatever, um, I would eat that up, you know? And, yeah, all, and, yeah. and all of the, the all the insecurities that he would talk about and all of the things he, he didn't know yet and everything, I, I would love it as, uh, you know, fodder for understanding the evolution of who that man became. Um, sure. So that's the thing is, like, I, I don't see, you know, I, I, I don't believe that, like, this conversation is something that's going to be a viral sensation overnight or anything. Um, but I, I believe in it in the long term. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me, Grinnell. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, It's exciting. And it's like I said before, too, it's like listening to like when I was listening to Will's thing, I was like, first of all, I was just like, oh, man, I feel so good to hear the voice of this person that I hadn't heard in so long. And then he was talking about George Lucas is a punk bitch. And I was like, what? This guy has (laughs) 10 videos to show me right now. I was like, okay. So I just I think I stopped the podcast and I just went and I watched it. I was like, oh, I'll watch one. And and this is a this is, um, you know. To, to, to speak highly of Will is that I, I said to myself, I'll watch one or two and I watched all of them yeah, uh, straight through. So, you know, it's, it's cool. It's exciting, man. It's, it's super exciting to see people start 
to come into themselves. I feel excited to see that about myself too. Um, it's, I feel like you have always been, I may, this may not be accurate, but I feel like you've always just known who you are as long as I've known you. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've been very confident. I feel like you've always had this sort of like confidence of just like you, I feel like you've never really cared what other people thought. (laughs) And I definitely do. (laughs) It's called called delusion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you committed, you've committed to it. And like, you have, you know, it's, I don't know, without too much like brown nosing or whatever, it's like, you've made life decisions that to me seemed completely scary. But mm-hmm. I was like, you've committed to them. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not in your head day to day. So it's, you know, every, every there's ups and downs all the time and everybody deals with anxiety and all that stuff. So I'm sure you're not a hundred percent confident all the time, but I do. I think that like, it's, I don't know. It's nice to see like people sort of coming into their own and, sort of just being like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be famous or successful, but I still want to make movies. Absolutely. And that's why I like talking to people, especially in this this uh, age in their life and everything. Um, you know, and also I've had, uh, talked to older people. I mean, I had Laszlo on the podcast, you know, Laszlo Santa from NYU and everything. I'm excited to hear his too. I just saw that like the other day that you had him on. Yeah, yeah. That was great to talk to him. Um, but, you know, specifically this age, I think is very interesting because it, it is kind of the um, you know, the waning of, of our twenties and everything. Um, and you know, the, the rise of uh, 30, 30 year olds and all this. And, uh, I think it's a, a interesting uh, point in our careers and our ideologies and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I think look to look back on it in the future will be, uh, you know, very telling. Yes. Um, yes. but here, before we get, we get too out there and, you know, patting each other on the back or whatever, I, I want to talk about, uh, the, your latest project, uh, I would do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So this, um, also I feel like was a huge step up for me and also just a general note. I have to say that all of these projects are just like, I meet people and I'm like, I want to do something. And they're like, I want to do something too. Yeah. And then we figure out together what it is. And I think that that's really cool. And that's exactly what happened here. Uh, Sicky, that's his rap name, Sicky. Um, he's the rapper slash he sings in it too. I mean, he, he, I feel weird just saying he's a rapper. Cause like, he's also singing, um, mm-hmm. but musician, he's the main musician in that music video. Uh, he at the time was bartending at this brewery that I used to go to a lot by my house. Um, and, uh, we had a mutual friend who also worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy was like, his name is Jared. And he was like, Hey, you're into film. Sicky is thinking about, he just made an album. He wants to do like a single. Um, and you know, uh, you guys should meet. And I was like, okay. So we met and like, at first, like, oh, I'm so hesitant. I'm such a like hesitant person. Um, at first I was hesitant and then I don't know what happened. We talked about some ideas and, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure what happened. I don't really remember like everything specifically. Mm-hmm. We talked about ideas. You start, you know, you start flushing it out in the beginning. It's like, it's not a paid job. So there's no deadline at the beginning. Eventually there's a deadline, but like at the beginning, it's just like, let's just talk about it and kind of spitball, start spitballing. And then I was like, you know, I was very much like, 
I want to direct. Um, I hadn't talked to Colin in, in a while because it's just like, it's what seems to keep happening between us and a lot of other people that I know too. It's like, you come and go, right? It's like, you kind of go your separate ways and then you come back and you're together for a while and you go your separate ways and you come back. Um, but I reached out to him and I was like, hey, would you want to shoot this? Which was very different for us because I had always shot for him and he would direct. Mm. And it's a very collaborative process, but still it's like I was shooting, he was directing. And I was like, I'll direct this one and you'll shoot. Would you want to do that? And he's like, sure. So he brought him on. He definitely had very early creative presence on that as well. Um, and we just started talking about more ideas and... Um, I don't, like, again, like, it's funny because, like, even though it was just a year ago, I don't remember, I think the the process of everything itself, I don't remember specifically, but I would say that, like, everybody brings little ideas into it, and then they get melted together. Uh, Sicky had ideas, I had ideas, Colin had ideas, Jared, who was, like, producing it uh, also with us, like, he had ideas, and it's just, like, it all just kind of gets mashed together, um, and, like, uh, that again was like, it was a step up for me for like two reasons. One, because I produced it and I had some producing experience in the past, but this was really, I was really producing it. Um, and that was just a new experience for me. Great what was experience. the funding like for this project? Did you get how much did it cost? I mean, you don't have to be specific if you don't want to, but um, you know, what were, what were the expenses and how did you raise that money? So Siki had money that he was willing to spend to spend on it because um, it was essentially you know promotion for him, and right. I did it as like uh, I I did it for no pay. Okay. He did end up giving me something at the end, but the original deal was like I went in with no pay. And also, I I don't know how people feel about this. It's an interesting question. I don't know if you've asked other people you've interviewed on this podcast, but I personally don't mind doing free creative work. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something that I if I feel like it's something I'm personally interested in and I personally have like a say. So like very much so from the beginning, I was like I had a lot of say in what we were doing. It's obviously a collaboration, but like I was directing it and, um, I, I don't mind. I was like, I, if somebody was like, Hey, I have this much, I don't, because Siki put the money towards it. I, I don't want to broadcast what that number was without talking to him first, but I would say that like, it was, it's probably doesn't really help. It was more than what I had worked with before for any kind of personal project. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely something that anybody could raise. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's definitely something that like, if you're working a, you know, a full-time job, you could definitely save money and make that. Um, I am. I also, to clarify, I also don't mind, uh, I I love working for free. I mean, I think, you know, it builds character, builds brand, um, you know, all of that. I don't know if it's a project you care about. Exactly. If it's a project you care about, if it's like something you have no interest in, then like, Give me the money. Yeah, I think you should get paid, get the money. Yeah, exactly. Or don't do it. Or put your or don't do it. Yeah, yeah, something else. Yeah, yeah. That was. I mean, that's another thing. That that was another lesson I learned over the last ten years. Is like, if you're like not, if if I don't want to do it, I shouldn't do it. Right. As long as I don't have to, right? As long as it's like not like this is going to be the money I have to pay rent or to buy food or to whatever, like responsibility or whatever I. Like if it's something where like I have the opportunity where like I don't have to take a job, I used to take everything 
I used to take everything I could and I would do these jobs and I would hate them and I'd be miserable. And then I, you know, you're barely getting paid or chasing down money or whatever, or not getting paid. And like, it wasn't anything I ever used. And then it really took me a long time to just be like, to walk, to be willing to walk away. That's, it it was a hard lesson for me to learn, but I glad that I learned it. Um, and I think it's an important lesson. Anybody who's an artist, anybody who's a freelancer, like there's so many people who want to take advantage of you. Um, and just a question about that, like paranoid, just a question about that. Like, you know, you're a freelancer and everything. You've been freelancing for a long time out, you know, in between the gigs, uh, and you know, like you're saying to, uh, sometimes you have to refuse a job or whatever. Um, how, how do you support yourself? Is it just on the, the, the money you've made from the last project? So right now, like, uh, I have the full. I have a full time right, job yeah. working in the rental agency, yeah. and I also bartend on the weekends as well. Mm-hmm. I'm in a period in my life where I'm working like crazy hours, um, but I've never done that at any. Of the, I've never worked as much much as I've worked in the last like four or five months. I've never worked that much in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always worked, but like uh, I work like crazy hours, and that's just sort of where I am in my life right now. But um, when I was like freelancing full time, like it was hard. It was hard. And like, that's also why I worked in restaurants. And like, I eventually, some people are really good at it. I wasn't. (laughs) Some people are really good at it. And I realized that like, it's not what I love doing. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I was like, I thrive in an environment where I have to get up every day around the same time. And I have to go into work somewhere. and, And I'm around people. And I see people and I can talk to them and like, I have the job that I do and I just, everything about my mental state in that environment is way better. Mm -hmm, Like when mm -hmm. I'm have a schedule and a routine, I, that's just who I am. Like I need that in my life and I can break the routine and whatever and be fine. But when I'm on like long periods of time where I'm not working a lot or I'm working haphazardly, I just like. It's like, I, it's like, I like forget how to take care of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yep. Um, and I hated that. I got really tired of that. Yep. Um, and, and then a lot of other things. I mean, there's a lot of elements like it's not, I probably not worth going into right now, but I think that in terms of like supporting yourself, I'm probably not the best person to ask about that. In all honesty, um, it's hard. I think that, you know, having a really good attitude is makes all the difference. Um, and you know, if if you can, if you can fall in with the right group of people and by right group, I mean like people who will bring you back for other shoots and stuff. Um, I think that's really helpful. Um, but you know, the freelancing is so weird. I have a lot of opinions about it, but I don't know if any of them are real or they're real opinions, but I don't know if any of them are like accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really it feels like it's really based on like feelings for me, which is probably not the most act. Like that's why I feel like hesitant to talk about it. Um, cause I don't want to like deter people or give wrong information, you know? Well, um, talk about it. I mean, uh, you know, I also have a uh, history in freelancing and everything. I, I would love to discuss it. Well, I guess I feel like it's, it's so hard. <laughs> first of all, it is I know. It's so yep. hard. Much harder so than the day to day grind. Yeah. And I think it's hard because I feel like people 
you know, that are offering you jobs, it's sort of like they're offering and not offering at the same time. It's probably not the best way to describe it, but I feel like, you know, I feel like an army of one as a freelancer, right? right? Mm -hmm. I'm my own HR department. I'm, if somebody wrongs me, like, like legally, right? Like if they're not, if they're refusing to pay me, like I have to go after them. And what does that mean? That means time. That means uh, means two two years in court and everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that means research. That means I have to do legal research. That, um, you know, learning how to build contracts and all great skills to learn. Uh, Definitely great skills to learn. But like... But maybe unnecessary skills to learn also if you, you know, if the circumstances (laughs) were better. Right, because like, look, like you're an artist, I'm an artist, like we want to make art. Like when when I started freelancing, I was like, this is great. Like people are going to pay me to make art. <laughs> it's like, yep. well, sometimes, yeah, sometimes, yeah, but like, not always. <laughs> but a lot of the time, <laughs> you know, no, they'll take advantage. <laughs> yeah, they'll take advantage. And like, I think it's also like, I, I think, you know, I'm really distant from it now, but I, I think that people, maybe they're not bad people, you know, maybe there's no, I don't know, good people, bad people, man, it's so simplistic. But, I, you know, it's like, I do think that like, in I think that the freelancing circumstances encourage people to take advantage of the freelancer. Oh, definitely. Yep. And I think that if you, I think that most or all people when they're in offered the opportunity to get more than they put in are going to do it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I, and it's just unfortunate, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate and it's like, it made me kind of bitter. It's a, it's a skill set, man. It's a skill set. I mean, I, I would say, when you freelance, you do the job that you're doing, and then you do the job of freelancing. Uh, you do the job of freelancing, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, I want to get back to I Would Do. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Can you tell me a little more about like the narrative of, of that movie and everything? Just the talk about the content a little more. Yeah, for sure. So with that music video... The, so I think I said, you know, there were two things that it was a step up. The first one was like, I was really producing, uh, on a, on a much more deeper level. Yep. And the second thing was that like, I really felt like inspired to put a message that I really believed in, in it. And it's, I believed in every, I believed in everything that I've shot. Like, it's not like, I love everything that I, everything we've talked about so far, I love so much, you know? Um, the, the, I guess what I mean by like putting messages that like, I just, over the last couple of years, I've gotten much more confident in my view of the world mm-hmm. and like, not even like in a political sense. Cause I don't even like follow politics or anything like that or religious or anything like that. But like, just like the interconnectedness of all things, I think there's probably a lot, a lot of things that we've talked about before in the past. And I think that I would go out on a limb and say, you probably also believe in, Sure, but yeah. I just serendipity, you know, karma, and not even karma is like an actual thing, but just the fact that like, you know, treating people well makes me feel better about myself. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like that's just one thing. And like, and for every action, there's um, a reaction for every action. There's a reaction. Exactly. And like things, you know, come back and it's like, I think like I've gotten, I've gotten so, I also should say that I've, taken about 10 years of therapy 
Um, so the entire time I've known you, even some, even before I met you until quite recently, I was in therapy. Mm. Um, and I just saw myself change so drastically, not once, but many times. And it, it, you know, I, again, like going back to, to everything we've talked about so far the last two hours, like to the gen eds and wanting new experiences and doing all these things, like in the last couple of years, it's all started to piece together in a way that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it, like I said before, I was like, when I was going through all this stuff, it wasn't simple. Like, it wasn't like, I was just like, yes, I'm on this path and I feel this is the righteous path for me. And this, I have no doubt that this is the right path. Like, no, I was constantly second guessing myself. I was constantly fighting myself. Yep. I was running away from all kinds of things. I was scared. I was nervous. I was also happy and excited. I was having all these great times. Like, there's great positive things, but it was as much um, dark as light. Mm-hmm. And so now it's all starting to make sense to me. And now I feel like excited and also again nervous and everything. But like I do feel like things, it's like now I'm starting to like, it just makes sense. And there's a, some peace that I have from that. There's some peace that it hasn't been a waste, you know? And so coming out of that, I was like, hey, I was like, look, like talking to myself, I'm like, hey, you believe things, right? And I was like, now you're getting more confident in telling people what you believe. Because like what you believe may not be the most popular thing, right? Um, but like, like I believe in morality apart from religion. Mm-hmm. I grew up very religious. It's something actually we I didn't talk about before, but I grew up very religious and I it left a lot of scars. But I believe in morality. I believe in the, like the um, basic tenets of like like I said like tr- it's not the golden rule because like you're supposed to do it. It's like literally treating other people nice makes me feel better about myself. Absolutely. And I think and I think that like it is a human thing. I don't think that's social upbringing. I think that there's something hu- embedded in us. I couldn't agree more. I don't. I don't think that's you know religious propaganda. So I think it's a, a part of the fiber of our being. Yeah, and I think that like morality is really important to me. And so like I was like, hey, I was like, that's cool. That's something I want to start talking about, like in films. But also like I have started to like not started my whole life. I felt very much like there are moments where I sort of disassociate and not in really like a, like a psychiatric way, mm-hmm. not like where I'm like leaving my body, but it's like, um, sort of like a, a sense of like, I'm in the back of my brain mm-hmm, like looking mm-hmm. out sort of, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and so with that video, there were a lot of inspirations, but something I felt about, I felt very deeply was like, I remember at some point I was like, I want it to be like at the end, like it's all been like a set and like, everybody's looking at you. Yeah. That's the final shot where they tear down the set. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, everyone's looking at you. And I was like, Mm. how confront, it's so confrontational. (laughs) I Mm -hmm, I was like, I really wanted it to be confrontational. I, I, I remember this short film we watched at some point, or I watched some point in school in, in NYU. Uh, and it was like one shot and it was like a fence and all these kids like one at a time run up and they just start looking into the camera. And that's the whole short film. It's maybe like two minutes. And at the end, you know, it just starts as like a fence in a field 
nobody's there. And then they start running in off camera. And maybe at the end, there's like 10 or 15 kids and they're just at the fence kind of hanging onto it, looking into the camera at you, the audience member. And it always stayed with me. And it's like going back to, or not going back because we haven't talked about this, but like, you know, stealing from other artists or, you know, <laughs> what do you want to call it? Stealing or inspiration or whatever. I don't know. Um, but I was like, that always stayed with me. And I was like, it's so confrontational. And I was like, I felt, you know, it's, I don't remember why that was so important to me, but it was very important to me. Mm-hmm, and I remember mm-hmm. being like, this is how it ends. Cause I didn't know how it was going to end. It's like, there's sort of like four phases. He goes through these like four things. And I was like, you know, I was like, I don't know how this is going to end. And I was thinking more, you know, I'm always thinking about like, you know, like we talked about before, sh- you know, shocking, but inevitable or mm-hmm, unexpected, mm-hmm. but inevitable. And, and I was like, you know, I, I just, I don't know. And like, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. But it, it, that image came into my head and I was like, that's it. I was like, that's it. Um, and I don't know. Maybe I still don't fully understand it, but it feels right. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'd like to ask you two things here. I don't know. They're maybe somewhat sensitive topics. You don't have to answer if you don't want to, but uh, mental health and religion. You said, you yeah. know, you, no, let's you, talk about it. You said, you know, you, you've been <laughs> seeing a, ther- a therapist for 10 years or something. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, growing up with religion. Um, do you see this playing a, a part in your, your filmmaking o- over, uh, over the years? Yeah. Um, yeah. So where to start? Um, I definitely think this is one of the reasons why I love Hodorowski so much. Mm. Um, and you know, you gave me that book, uh, the spiritual journey of Alejandro Hodorowski. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I, I read that book and it's incredible, um, right? Um, I with no no small exaggeration it, it changed me good it changed my life yeah. and I had already read so he he's written all these comic books right in yep. in France over the years essentially he had this like uh very sick like successful underground career like over like maybe 10 years and making all these movies and then he just went and he made comic books for like 30 years and he still writes the comic books even now I mean this guy is like uh I think he's like 80 or 90 years old. He's so cool. I actually got to hear him speak in person, mm. uh, which was super exciting. I don't know if I ever told you that, but his he's in the process of making these movies based on his life. The last one came out two years ago, and he, he did a screening, and, and he spoke with his son, who plays him yep. in the movie. Yep. And that was so that that was so special for me, because you know, he's such a hero. But... Um, I read that book and then I've just, I devoured so much after that. I had read some of his comic books. I read a lot more. I watched a lot of his movies. I read other ones of his books that aren't comics that are just books. Uh, he has one called psycho magic. That's amazing. Um, that's a similar to that. And like he in psycho magic, he talks about, he created this, I, this thing called psycho magic, which is like, and, and one of the, you know, I just, I already loved him, but but when I read this book, what I really loved about him was like, he was like basically saying like, I believe in magic, but I don't believe in magic. Like he was like, I, 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 I don't believe like in alchemy, right? Like, I don't believe you can like change like a rock into gold. He doesn't believe like he believes in physics. Like he's a, he's, he's real. Like he's a, he believes in the physical world we live in, but he's like, I believe in magic. And he also talks about the psychological aspect of that in depth, which is like if somebody believes in magic, like 
maybe like it will change them. Like in Psycho Magic, he talks about these crazy things about like people believing, like he talks about, I forgot what they're called, but they're like essentially like considered to be witches. And he was talking about like in South Latin America, like every community had, had one. I don't know if it still is a thing, but it was like people would be sick and they would go to like the witch doctor sort of. And it was like somebody who was on your side. It's not like an evil witch, but they would do like these like ritualistic things. And he talks about how like, he doesn't believe they're actually performing magic, but there's like something about the fact that like, if that person can convince you that they're performing magic on you, you might, your brain might convince yourself to get better. And I I don't know the science behind that. And I think, but I think it can be applied in a lot of ways. And I think that like, I love that idea of like, I don't, I, I don't believe in magic like spells. I don't believe in religion, which is just fiction to me. You know, it's really good fiction. Um, but I believe in all the underlying concepts of it. I believe in the morality behind it. I believe in, I believe that there's a reason all of these books have similar stories. And it's not just because these books were shared among people a thousand years ago. I think it's because there are these like recurring human dynamics. These connections, yes, that, that are very connections. organic to, to, to human nature and everything. Exactly. And the fact that we all are experiencing these stories over and over again. And when I say stories, I mean in our lives with real people. Yes. You know, uh, that is profound. And I think that that profound concept is important and that's what I'm interested in. It's so interesting because I just, I had such terrible, I mean, it's, I hated, yeah, I, I grew up very religious believing in it, right? Christianity and Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, your parent, your yeah. parents. One of them is, is Christian. One is uh, Jewish. Yeah. So my father's Jewish and my mom's Christian, which, okay. according to Jews, doesn't make me Jewish. Right. They mm-hmm. believe traditionally you have to be Jewish through your mother. Right. Um, yeah. And so. I'm very, I'm very, but, I'm very aware. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic. My wife is Jewish. Oh yeah, Hadass is Jewish. Yes. Yeah, I forgot absolutely. about that. Yeah. So you know, same thing, um, same uh, dynamics there. Yeah, and it's like I also grew up in an area. That so then there's that then my parents divorced like when I was like one or two mm-hmm. and then my parents like hate each other still to this like I I don't know it's very complicated they don't like each other they don't get along and I you know I was told like you're not Jewish by my dad and then my mom was very into Judaism and this thing called Messianic Judaism which is like Jews for Jesus if you've heard of that yep um and I grew up in a community of people like that oh wow and then. What is that? Can, can you can you explain that to me a little bit? It's Jewish people who believe in the Messiah, and they believe the Messiah was Jesus. So within the Jewish community, there's all kinds of there. There's been like people. So it who sounds like a Catholic themselves. to me. Yeah, it kind of is. And my <laughs> mom was raised Catholic, so maybe you know it wasn't. She didn't go too far. Uh, sorry, I'm, uh, I was making a joke though. Please uh, go on. Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> gen- genuinely <laughs> curious, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, so it's, like, basically, you know, so there was, I had a lot of, like, religious identity confusion, which is, like, it sounds, that sounds so bizarre for me to say that out loud, to hear myself say that, because I grew up in, like, the, like, the 1990s and the 2000s, and it's, like, who cares about religion, like, in America in that time period, but in the world that I grew up in, the community I grew up in, like, it was very, very real, and I went to a Christian school through fourth grade, and then I went to public school, but there were 
where my community outside of DC, there's like a ton of Jewish people. And so, you know, it was constantly this like back and forth of like, you are Jewish, you aren't Jewish, you are Christian, you aren't Christian, you aren't Christian. And like all within a world where that was all very important to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, it wasn't until I was 20 that I stopped believe. I decided that I didn't believe in any of it anymore. And it wasn't one day that that happened. I mean, there was a long lead up to it, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, it was, uh, that I was like, okay. Yeah. It's like, I don't believe it. I, it was like the moment where I was like, I don't, not only do I not believe in it, but I'm comfortable not believing in it. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it's like, I'm going to go to hell, which is what I always thought. Mm. You know, it's like, you do something bad, you're going to go to hell. Um, and so, you know, that's, I guess, summing up the religious aspect of it. And then the other aspect, which is like psychology, which is like very shortly after I got to New York. Ew, can uh, I interrupt you for one second? Just about a religion? Yeah, yeah. Are you atheistic or uh, is it more kind of a spiritual um, under, you know, relationship or something? Um, I think I probably technically I'm agnostic. Okay. Uh, yep. I kind of, I kind of don't care. In, I, I, I'm kind of indifferent to whatever the answer is. I think what I care more about it. Well, I, I would say this: if if there really is something out there and it came to Earth and and I couldn't deny that it was the thing, I would I would be like, just logically, because me, I try to be very logical. I'd be like, okay, you're the thing, right? I'd be like. Like, you know, if it, I, I don't know what that situation would be, but if there was a situation where it was like the God or whatever it is came yeah. to earth and was like, and like was performing miracles and it was like, okay, this is the God that created us. Like, I would be like, okay, you're the God that created us. Like you're proving it to me and I can't deny it. But like the flip side of that too is like, I mean, let's just say in this, the flip side of that is like in like this hypothetical example, like just cause something created you doesn't mean you have to follow it and give your life to it. Mm, interesting. Yep. And I think that, like, as a person who has a really, really difficult relationship with his parents, um, I've had to sort of – and I think everybody as you get older, though, regardless of your relationship with your parents, I think that, you know, you become your own person. You go your own path. Definitely. And I think that, like, I very probably more so uh, – I'm an individualist, individualistic person and then my social situation – clearly I've thought about this a lot, but – but my social situation on top top of it is like, you know, like I think that like I realized like hard difficultly, but I realized that was like you have to decide who you are for yourself. Mm -hmm. I, I think so, it ties into filmmaking again so much, uh, you know, the, an indiv individualistic uh, mindset or something versus a group mindset or whatever. I mean, even if you look at, let's say, uh, Fellini or somebody who is criticizing, uh, you know, the Catholic Church in Italy or, you know, uh, the Christians or whatever. Um, he's not criticizing in a way that's just saying, oh, this is bad, blah, blah, blah. He has a very unique uh, you know, take on it, to say the least. You know, it's this whole entire theatrical take on uh, dismissing, uh, you know, the upbringing. And it's so funny that you say Fellini, too, because um, it's so personal. His vision is so about that. Is his? You can tell that he's feels so very individual. personally about it, yeah, and individualistic. But also, I do think it's very theatrical. I think all religion is theatrical. I think it's all absolutely performance, all performance. Yep. And um, uh, that's the thing too. Like, like even yeah, even I, in the Catholic wrong. Church, <laughs> like right, like you go up and you have Holy Communion and the wine, right? Um, yeah, and it's this, this metaphor of like 
oh, you know, you, you have a sip of wine and, you know, that's God's blood or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like, there there have been nights where I drank five bottles of wine and I literally talked to God. <laughs> like, don't, don't give me the, the theatrical watered-down version. Like, 